Song Radio. Oh, keeping it live on Brian Muni's Live Song Radio. Writer of Jeff Buckley, from Hallelujah to the Last Goodbye. Greetings, I'm Brian Muni, and welcome to Live Song Radio, show 46. Tonight, are we ever so fortunate to be in the presence of author Dave Laurie, preceding the release on May 29th of his memoir, Jeff Buckley, from Hallelujah to the Last Goodbye. We'll celebrate and commemorate the life and work of one of the great musicians of our times, singer, songwriter, guitarist Jeff Buckley, who drowned tragically nearly 21 years ago to the day in Memphis at the age of 30 as he awaited his band to arrive from New York City to complete his second album. Jeff was on the brink of superstardom, and Dave Laurie was Jeff's manager and friend and intimately involved in the life of this enigmatic 90s alternative rock talent, son of 60s legendary folk singer Tim Buckley. Welcome, Dave. Well, thanks for having me. It's so great to have you, really. And dear listeners, you too, of course, are an essential piece of tonight's broadcast. Call 845-429-1700 to weigh in with your comments, questions, etc. Or email us at livesongradio at gmail.com. That's 845-429-1700 or livesongradio at gmail. Feel free to call at any time to make contact with Dave Laurie. And tonight's show sponsor is Theraplay Developmental Resources, LLC. For over 20 years, using music to help special needs children do what was thought impossible. Contact them at 646-279-1145 or email theraplay at optonline.net to learn how music can make a difference in the life of an exceptional child or adult you may know. So, Mr. Laurie... We are here tonight to discuss someone you know quite well, Jeff Buckley. And I think we need to give the audience a taste of what Jeff Buckley's music and genius was all about. Dave, do you want to introduce the first track, Grace? Yeah, this was probably the first song most people heard, uh, both live and especially internationally on TV. Um, it also shows his guitar playing skills, which very few people realize he was an amazing guitar player as well. Everything he did, he was amazing at. All right, so let's rock on.
Well, not your typical pop music, uh, you know, fair, but unbelievable. Uh. Yeah, the not only the guitar playing, which I originally mentioned there at the end, where he's he we call it the Flying Buckleys, uh, yeah. the record company, and I, yeah, where yeah. his voice just starts going off, and you know, the five octave range. Yeah, one of his fans, Brad Pitt, describes. Jeff Buckley as Led Zeppelin's vocalist Robert Plant and guitarist Jimmy Page wrapped into one. He did both. Well, that was his favorite um, favorite artist. And also, Physical Graffiti, the album cover, was a couple doors down from his actual apartment. And that's actually in the book. We show the photo. Yeah. Amazing. Weird coincidence. Amazing. So, um, you're here to, um, to tell us about your book that's about to be released. That's correct. Uh, it's May 29th. Uh, people can go to uh, jeffbuckleythebook.com to find out more information, tour dates. Uh, I'm actually going out on tour starting June 1st, doing uh, Q&A, question and answers with the fans uh, across America and back to UK, Ireland, and Australia as well through October. So uh, it just shows you the fans that he does have out there and how it's grown over the years. Yeah, there's a lot of interest in this. And... Uh so what is it that we're going to be treated to now? Well, I'm going to read a little excerpt. This is uh, basically my introduction in the book, one of the first things that you read. Um, I didn't talk for nearly 21 years. Uh, it was too painful. Um, myself and the eight others that interviewed, we turned down everything. It mm -hmm. was just too painful. So I'm going to start when I got the call to write the book and what I put down. Excellent. I went through every emotion on my ride with Jeff Buckley, one of the defining rock voices of his generation, perhaps of all time. At the launch of his career, his impact was subtle. Great buzz, great reviews, and a gentle uptake as far as the spreadsheets were concerned. But on the ground, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. Jeff was so good that people wouldn't just tell their friends. They'd radiate like they had a religious experience. Gradually, clubs, theaters, festivals, and cities, the fans in Paris, London City, and others, fell under the spell of this artist and I was managing his career. 44 unforgivable months of triumph, failure, hysterical laughter, blazing rows, schemes, dreams, and deepening friendship. And then it was tragically cut short. I'd come from a world where rock music functioned like a traveling circus. Jeff didn't come out of the same mold and he didn't want to do things the old school way. I had to adjust my sense of what a rock star he was. We flew together and kept together when the engines began to sputter, snuffed out, it hurt more than you can imagine, more than anything I've ever known. One weekend a couple years ago, something drew me into the storage room where I kept the boxes marked Jeff Buckley that sat there taped shut since the lawsuit between myself, his estate, and Sony Entertainment. As I went through the archive of photos and paperwork, fading faxes and weighty contracts, I was overwhelmed by emotion. I realized almost 20 years had passed since that awful day. And I was still dealing with it. I'm writing these words a day before the 20th anniversary. Apart from occasions with close family and friends who had joined me on this ride, I hadn't been able to really discuss what I felt about Jeff. The facts behind Jeff's death and its aftermath were so bizarre and unexpected, it's no wonder I couldn't process them. I have mostly refused to talk about my time with this unique artist. I found it too painful to revisit. But now I'm ready to tell my side of the story. We worked on raw instincts. Sometimes we did things in a screwy way, did the opposite of what people expected. We weren't always right, but we made those decisions together. 
and knew they were right for us, for him, for the good of his sanity, his career, and his personal integrity. We had a catchphrase whenever we made one of those crazy leaps into the unknown. You did pack a parachute, right? And we'd laugh knowing that neither of us knew how hard the landing was going to be that time. I couldn't bear to listen to his music again until recently. I went through all the stages of bereavement with the added weight of responsibility. I should have actually packed that parachute for him. I work with plenty of party animals, drug and booze addled musicians, geniuses, who somehow couldn't wrestle up a brain cell to work out what a hash they were making of their lives with a needle or a bottle or a groupie, or all three. But that wasn't Jeff, though he was no stranger to the cliches of a rocker's life. That wasn't what defined him. He was driven by something purer than that. We had another saying we would repeat to each other, our code of honor, that summed up what drove Jeff. It's about the music, stupid. We used this phrase throughout the time we worked together. It was our way of answering the question, should we do this or not? Music made everything make sense. During my first encounter with him in that cafe at St. Mark's Place, I knew Jeff Buckley was a star, and he had a vulnerability that I recognized. I saw my own damaged innocence in him, and I wanted to protect him. Sensing his fears of being buried and controlled by a record label, I reassured him he would not be harmed with me involved. Beautiful. Dealing with a guy like Jeff Buckley, was he different than the other artists that you had worked with? In every, everything he did. Uh, most four-piece rock acts are the lead singers in the middle. He goes to the stage left, or stage right, so the left-hand side. Um, he picked an actor to be as a guitar player, so he could teach him what to play, so he'd stay out of his way. Um, the musicians were inexperienced. He wanted to use them for the album, not session players. He wanted to define a sound. And, you know, even things like, I remember when the band was rehearsing, go out on the first tour, I said, can I hear the songs? He said, oh, we're just jamming. This is how we're getting tight. I'm like freaking out, right? <laughs> um, but, and it was funny, on the first uh, tour we did, if him solo, I was tr finding out what he wanted to do and what he didn't want to do. And he said, I don't want to do videos. I don't want my music in film or TV. Uh, I don't want my songs edited. And I was going, oh, I'm, this is going to go over really well with the label. So it was like everything was different. Because this was the era of MTV. Oh, yeah, MTV was breaking acts, actually playing music back then. Yeah, actually playing music. So just to give a little backstory about Dave, Dave Laurie has worked in the arts and entertainment area for over 35 years, starting out on the live circuit as a drummer. He formed his own tour management company in 86 and managed the careers of artists as varied as the Allman Brothers, Courtney Love, and Duncan Cheek. Not, I, I, I wouldn't call these like easy, calm acts to manage. I mean, Duncan was probably the, the most calm of them all, but probably. the Allman Brothers and Courtney Love, well, it was never like a, a good challenge, it was, didn't you? It was never a dull moment. <laughs> <laughs> every, day, every day was different. Yeah, I'd say that. I just don't understand how someone would become a manager. I mean, you know what? There's no greater joy than, um, and I use this when I worked at a label too. I taught my staffs running international that we're managers. We work for the artists, not for the affiliates. Yeah. And there's no greater joy than to take somebody like a Jeff Buckley or bring the Allman Brothers back after a 10 year hiatus and put them at the top of their game again and have all the protections around them to protect their wealth, um, 
their integrity. I mean, that's a very good feeling. Very yeah. good feeling. And you worked with Jeff from the release of his first EP in 1993 until his sudden tragic death in 97. Uh, after that, you ran a burgeoning events business, booking the New Music Seminar Festival with its founder, Tom Silverman, uh, which was a huge deal. Huge it a, deal. It was the largest music conference in the world. In fact, we went down to South by Southwest and started that. We were actually going to do two a year, and I looked at Tom and Mark Joseph, and I said, guys, we can't get out of bed even doing one for a week. Um, but yeah, they, they, were, they had a uh, uh, professional wrestler was going to help promote it, and we got the Austin Chronicle involved, and you know we, uh, we put that together. And it was funny, because when we brought the New Music Seminar back in 2009, uh, the, the uh, founder, Roland Swenson, came up, and he said, when did you and Tom know to, get, to not do the New Music Seminar anymore? And I said, when it gets as big as yours. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's just chaos. You're just managing it chaos. It is chaos. And um, you continued on producing stellar events such as Songs of the City for the New York Grammy Committee and the Songwriters Hall of Fame Dinner, where we've hung out on a couple of occasions. And you diverted from personal management after Buckley's death, and you were made Senior VP of International Marketing and Artist Development at Mercury Records, and in 99 joined Danny Goldberg's Artemis Records as Senior Vice President of Stuff, right? Yeah, I did everything. <laughs> <laughs> Artemis was voted Billboard Magazine Independent Label of the Year in 2000 and 2001. There was such a buzz when Artemis came into this world. Well, we had great singer-songwriters with Steve Earl, Warren Zevon, Ricky Lee Jones, and the list was endless. And then we had that little hit, Who Let the Dogs Out, which... Uh, the Baja Boys. Yeah, yeah, that one you just got out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> and you continued to build businesses operating in live production, event management, security, and marketing consultation. You're a founding member of the Music Managers Forum. I guess you guys all get together and commiserate. Yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> An organization that lobbies for the music industry with Congress and provides education for up-and-coming managers. He has provided security for the United Nations and also lectured in music business programs at William Patterson University and New York University. So you've been keeping busy. Well, I think uh, I always used to call myself a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. But I felt as a manager... And I did publicity. I was a tour manager. I was a musician. I did work retail, uh, on and on and on, that you're managing the people around the artist, so you have to know the jobs that you're doing, that they're doing for you. I used to love calling the Cleveland Plain Dealer, talking to Jane, the editorial for music there, and say, did the record company send you my artist's music yet? And she goes, no, and her deadline's tomorrow. And then you call the publisher and say, well, I just talked to Jane at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and she said she didn't get the music. Oh, I'll get it out tomorrow. Her deadline's tomorrow. So that keeps people on their toes. Right, right, right. So there's a little-known song called Hallelujah that Jeff had something to do with. Um, would you like to speak about the effect of that song? Well, there's an interesting story in the book about, um, you know, Nick Cave did it as well, uh -huh. and... Uh, he came home and there was a 70 some verses of the song 
on 80 it. As, I, 80? I, I, okay. as I've heard, yes. It, and I recently right. wrote the 81st. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Jeff found some that were not uh, recorded before. How did he do that? Um, you know, it's an interesting question because he recorded it before I came on board. Uh -huh. um, so I'm not really sure other than, you know, they obviously were hearing it live and Steve Berkowitz and the producer Andy Wallace wanted him to do it. Um, mm -hmm. But what was more interesting about that song was it, it didn't take long for it to be the encore, the showstopper. Um, people thought Jeff wrote the song, not Leonard Cohen. In fact, I met Leonard uh, years after his death uh, over in London. Uh, we were staying in the same hotel having breakfast. And he didn't seem amused when I was introduced as Jeff Buckley's manager. <laughs> I really? Guess, well, I think as a songwriter, you write a song and somebody else is getting credited or people think they oh, wrote for it. for that reason. Right, yeah. Um, he was a lovely man, don't get me wrong. But, oh, yeah, yeah. But, but he I, brought, Jeff brought, well, Jeff really popularized the song. He popularized it, but he also, the thing with his voice is he had such command in talking, you know, while he was singing, technically, yeah, uh, screaming, yeah, uh, singing lullabies, whatever, yeah, and, and that with Hallelujah, it does come across. You could hear oh, a pin yeah. drop, and when he'd do a live show, it didn't matter how large the venue was, you could hear a pin drop. Because when he does something, you never know what he's going to do next. Uh, that version was different every night. Every night it was a different version. Unbelievable. Um, before we spin, I also just want to say that. So this song was written in 84, 1984. And I really actually think it's one of the great songs of the, the end of the 20th century. Hallelujah. That's my feeling. It's actually in the Library of Congress now. Yeah. Um, just, it was put in, I forget the year, but I think it was about 10 years after his yeah. passing. Right. But in 2008, which is some 24, five years after, Buckley's version went to number one on the iTunes chart. And that was after being performed on American Idol by Jason Castro. It's an amazing, what an amazing thing. I mean, that was 10 years after his death, too. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. So, I mean, how could Leonard, God rest him soul, how could he have any complaints about Jeff's contribution to that song. Yeah, I don't think he, there was any complaints. So I just think, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, the Jeff Buckley song, you know? Like, right, I get that. Okay, so shall we spin it? Hallelujah. David played and it pleased the Lord But 
like this The fourth, the fifth The minor fall and the major lift The baffled king composing Hallelujah 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 Your faith was strong but you needed proof you saw her bathing on the roof Her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you And she tied you to her kitchen chair And she broke your throne and she cut your hair And from your lips she drew
And it's not a cry that you hear at night It's not somebody who's seen the light It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah 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 The song that Jeff Buckley made famous by Leonard Cohen, Hallelujah. Amazing. You know, that's the first time I've listened to the whole thing since his death. Yeah. It's been hard for you to access these. Yeah, I'm surprised when I don't listen to him a lot. Um, I'm starting to listen to him more, but it's uh, tapes that I have that I know he approved that uh, were from uh, radio shows and for... Uh, live shows that you know were recorded multi-track and he would produce them and master them and put his signature on it so I believe we have a caller is that true ouch <laughs> ouch some noise yeah good well uh, is this Steve Adabo this is Steve Adabo well let me just Thank you so much, first, before I say anything about you. But Steve Adabo, uh, you also played a very important role in the early days of uh, Jeff's career uh, and was one of his first engineers. Is that true? I don't know about first, but I was the first recordings he did on once he was signed to Columbia Records. Uh-huh. So... Um, yeah, Steve tells a story about you guys in the studio and how you can't get Jeff to do anything and or record anything. He's like, you know, uh, I guess it was his first, uh, like you said, his first recording session under Columbia. But then all of a sudden he he lit up as soon as Steve started joking around with him or something. And I guess you guys had quite a few, two good, very good days. <laughs> we had three good days. Yeah, I mean, the first day he was a little, I don't want to say uptight, but he was just very very conscientious and he would, would do a, you know, he'd do a take of a song and he'd want to do it again and do it again and and then like you know, after about three or four hours he says, okay, that's about it and Steve goes, wait a minute, you know, Berkowitz goes, wait a minute. <laughs> he goes, don't you know any fly? Don't you know any this? And all of a sudden that's when he kind of just started playing and opened up and, uh, you know, the next two and a half days were great because he would just go from acoustic guitar to fend to uh, my well or to electric guitar to harmonium and 
it was just it was it was freeform Jeff, and we weren't producing him. There wasn't the idea of it. It was just uh, three days to see what he could do and what songs he had and what covers he wanted to do. And uh, and yeah, it was magical. And it came out. You know, they they released ten songs. You know, a few years back on that you and I compilation, which was right. really what Jeff heard in the headphones, what I heard in the studio it was just monitor mixes. We'd never. You know, we didn't do it multi-track. We had no way to remix it, and it sounded fine, and that's what came out. I think it was amazing the way that you and, you know, especially Berkowitz during those days, that first year of allowing him to be Jeff Buckley and not yeah. forcing him to go in the studio, and I don't think Grace would have come out that way. And Steve makes some good analogies in my book about how Jeff was really a composer. He wasn't your typical songwriter where he'd sit down to the piano or guitar and play a three-chord song. He wanted to know what it was going to sound like. And, you know, it was almost like, how do you explain Sgt. Peppers, you know? When you were recording Jeff, Steve, did you feel like you were seeing the future of rock and roll? Were you impressed? I was certainly impressed whether I saw the future of rock and roll. I was worried about my own future. But um, <laughs> and look, you've yeah. done you've, you've done pretty darn well for yourself, I must say. Recent well, yeah, Grammy recipient. Future. You know, I you know I wouldn't that 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 term was already used for spring a, a, a few so times. Yeah. It again, you know. Right. But um, well, no, I saw a very talented talented person. I saw someone who could go in so many directions, and it was like, how do you corral this, and how do you make a record? And I think. Jeff was aware of that too. That he, you know, yeah. he, 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 it made it hard for him because he, yeah. he could sing opera almost. He could sing yes. Led Zeppelin. He could, yes, you know, sing Hallelujah. So, yeah, it, it was uh, it was quite quite a journey for him. And and you know, Grace came out wonderful. And I guess I didn't realize at the time, but we were recording his first record, his Bare Bones. You know, yeah, so. amazing. Well. Thank you so much for the call. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to make contact with you, and uh, I look mm -hmm. forward to seeing you soon, Steve. And okay, well, maybe I'm glad to have Dave on there. Yeah, and, uh, maybe we can get you back up here. You know, at some point. Yeah, when's there another baseball game up there? Soon? <laughs> I'll let oh, you yep. know. I'll let okay. you know. <laughs> let me know. Thanks so All much, righty. Steve. Nice talking to you, Steve. Carry on. Okay, bye. Okay, so I think we have another caller. Welcome. You're on Live Song Radio. Oh, thanks so much. Hi, this is Gary Novikov calling. Hello, Gary. Hi there. I just got to say I'm really loving this show, and I'm a, a huge Jeff Buckley fan. When, when he died, it's like I, you know, there, when you just claim an artist as, or, or I'm, a, I'm a fan of this person, and then they're gone, it's like my first feeling is, oh, my gosh, I don't get to have a lifetime of loving more music from this person. So yes. that really got me... I, what I love about Jeff Buckley is that you know that he is a song lover and a music lover because of the diverse, like, people that he... I mean, like, his songwriting is incredible, but also, like, you know, he loves Morrissey, that incredible version of I Know It's Over, the Hallelujah, and also Lilac Wine and the Piaf. It's just like he's so... And all of this he was able to sort of, like, make, make his own. And I just want to say one more thing, as long as, long as I'm running off at the mouth. Go. I spent, I spent today listening, listening to, uh, actually watching a lot of videos of Edith Piaf, ah. and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it is that, why I would lump them in the same category, and I think it's because they both had a way of elevating pain and tragedy to something that was 
like uh, cathartic and like an apotheosis. Like they they really they really know how to and really knew how to get to the heart of of like this difficult painful stuff in life. So anyway, I look forward to to reading the book and uh, really enjoying this uh, this broadcast. So thank you. Beautifully put, Gary. Really <laughs> beautiful. Thank you so much for your call, and you too. We need to get you back soon. Okay? I'd love to come. I'd love to come back. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, all right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Gary, for the call. And yes, we have another caller. Welcome. You're on Live Song Radio with Dave Laurie. Hey. Hey. You know, Dave, I- I'm interested to know. Uh, my name is Michael Mark Jacobson. I'm a longtime veteran journeyman guitar player. Been on the road with many and. I've recently gotten into writing myself. I've got a couple of uh, rock and roll fiction novels out. And I'm wondering for you, having spent so much time in management and record executive, what it's like to be the artist and how you're being handled by your publisher. Uh, Well, my agent told me when I first met him at CAA, uh, literary department, head of the literary department, he said, you're no longer the manager, Dave, you're the artist. And I learned how getting passed by various publishers felt for my artists getting passed by record companies. Um, and the shows that I'm doing upcoming, uh, it's interesting because I have, I feel like I have three heads. I have the artist, I have the manager, I have the tour manager. Uh, so I have to decide which head's popping out. Uh, but, you know, I'm a pretty organized guy. I have a, a young lady that helps me keep organized. But, uh, you know, it's like working a record. Uh, no different. My book is the artist. And, uh, you know, calling all the people I know in the media, like Brian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm sure glad you did. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> no, I feel you. You know, I feel like I sell like one book at a time. I'm I'm doing radio shows across small town America, and I'm I'm going to little bookstores for signings, and it's it's really a, a great grassroots experience. But I, I don't know if you feel this way, but I found it a lot easier to write than it is to sell with a damn book. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am fortunate in one standpoint because I haven't talked in 21 years and neither have the people that were involved in this book that we interviewed um, that were close to me during that time and Jeff is I'm able to go into venues and actually have my cost paid by tickets where normally doing a book tour, you don't obviously, you know, Barnes and Noble isn't going to pay for your plane flight in your hotel. <laughs> so, you know, they're going to they even give you coffee. Right. They, they put a sign up, you know, where I'm on the phone today with, uh, you know, uh, City Winery in New York. And I'm like, OK, we need you to take the poster that I designed and I sent to you. And we need to get it in every independent record store saying June 3rd. You know, you can delete an email. You can't delete a poster. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you have to have uh, people you know, do a combination of both. It's that all new school doesn't work and all old school doesn't work. But, uh, yeah, so, and, you know, I have, I, so I have a music press as well as a uh, book press. And so that's making it easier to get, you know, the Boston Globes and the uh, Chicago Sun-Times, et cetera. And I just did World Cafe on Friday, which was really rare that they did an interview. Um, and you can hear that stuff and see some of that stuff on my website at jeffbuckleythebook.com. And they well, could, that's great. They that's could great. also buy tickets for your tour. You can buy tickets off there. You can also pre-order the book um, through various sources, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Pledge Music, which I give uh, memorabilia with the book and autograph it for you. Um, so, yeah, and there's a lot of things on there, excerpts from the book. And also, if you uh, go to info at jeffbucklethebook.com and register, 
every week we have new videos going out of me being um, answering questions about Jeff as well as excerpts from the book. So you might want to do that. But you've got to jump on it because you're listening to live song radio tonight. And this we're kind of breaking. We're you know we're we're one of the first. Yeah, we're we're, we're breaking this exactly. book. <laughs> okay, from so, your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> so thank you so much for the call, Mark. Good to be in touch. Ryan, I hope you let me come and talk about my book sometime. All righty, thank Take you care. very much. Okay, so now it's time to give a little love to the supporters of our local broadcast. Small business owners, have you ever wondered what your clients are really thinking about your goods and services? With more information, you can increase and expand your businesses. I'm Marla, the focus group lady, and I can help you get the answers you need. For details on survey design and recruitment services, or if you want to be paid for your opinions as a panelist, you can find me on Facebook at Marla the Focus Group Lady or email me at Marla the Focus Group Lady at gmail.com. Looking forward to helping make things happen for you. So now let me tell you about our friend, Realtor William H. Perlman of Coldwell Banker Residential Brokerage in New City. Bill is the real deal, a stand-up guy. Whether you are buying or selling, do yourself a favor and check him out at BillPerlman.com or give him a call at 845-641-1145. That's Bill, P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N.com, 845-641-1145. Tallman Auto Center, run by Augie De Palma for over 40 years, has been providing complete auto repair. Reliable, honest, and fair. What separates Tallman Auto Center is a commitment to service. A national reservist and martial artist, Augie, along with Tommy and Keith, are there when you need them. Located on the corner of Route 59 in Cherry Lane, Tallman Auto Center can help you with New York State inspections, computer diagnostics, discount tires, air conditioning, and wheel alignment. So call 845-357-8790 or on the web at tallmanautocenter.com. Because you never know. So call 845-357-8790 or on the web at tallmanautocenter.com. Augie is also now offering a 10% discount on major repairs for all live song radio listeners. And if you are a veteran, he is especially interested in working with you. So don't be shy. Mention you're a live song radio listener, a veteran, and start saving. The medical practice of Dr. Michael Schachter, the Schachter Center for Complementary Medicine in Suffern, are pioneers in alternative medicine. Dr. Schachter has been serving the Rockland community for over 40 years, and I, frankly, have benefited much from his expertise. At the Schachter Center for Complementary Medicine in Suffern, sophisticated biomedical testing is used to ensure that an individualized treatment plan for every patient helps uncover the underlying causes of disease and creates an environment that supports the body's natural ability to heal itself. Check them out at theschachtercenter.com or call 845-368-4700. That's theschachtercenter.com, 845-368-4700. 
On Monday, May 14th, 8 p.m., Brian Muni's Live Song Radio will present a celebration of Jeff Buckley, 90s music icon, with author Dave Laurie, Jeff's manager and friend, who will read from Dave's new memoir, Jeff Buckley, From Hallelujah to the Last Goodbye. He'll set the story straight of this enigmatic and important artist who drowned tragically at the age of 30 in the Mississippi River on May 29, 1997. So tune in on Monday, May 14th, 8 p.m., to hear author Dave Laurie and the amazing story and music of Jeff Buckley. All right, and here again is our phone number, 845-429-1700, to make contact with Dave Laurie, author, former manager, and friend of Jeff Buckley. You can also email us at livesongradio at gmail.com. That's 845-429-1700 or livesongradio at gmail. By the way, all these shows can now be accessed on my new webpage, brianmuni.com. So, Dave, you want to do a little reading? Yes, uh, just to set this up, um, this was the first chapter I, I wrote. Uh, it was when I got the call that Jeff had disappeared in the Mississippi. Just to set it up, I was in Dublin, Ireland with my another one of my artists, Cattell Kennick, who was friends with Jeff. She was just starting her tour, and her single was coming out, One Hell of a Life. It was already on radio, so that was kind of weird in itself. Um, and so this is it. It's Friday, May 30th, 1997. I hope I can get through it. Okay. A phone is ringing. It isn't mine. Hotel phone. It's not my second wake-up call, so I ignore it. But I didn't order a wake-up call, so someone is calling me in the middle of the night. Where am I? Dublin? Is it Cattell? It can't be. I saw her go to bed. She was fine. Is it Samantha, who's my wife? Has something happened at home? It's still ringing. I better answer in the effing thing. I can hear rain. What time is it? 5.58 a.m. I've been asleep for only four hours. This had better be good. Uh-huh. Dave. It's Jack. Someone's in jail or the hospital. Great. Dave, I'm a Christian. Gene has called me. He says it's urgent. He needs to talk to you. I'm going to put Christian's phone up to my phone. Okay, Gene, I've got Dave. I can just about hear Gene. He's agitated, shouting so that I can hear him from 5,000 miles away. There's a weird noise in the background that I can't make out, like motors running. Dave, it's Jeff. He's gone missing. What do you mean he's gone missing? I work it out, 1 a.m. in Memphis. Savannah's flown in that evening. They were due to start rehearsing right away. Jeff was late for the session. Really annoying, but he's always pulling that piece of you-know-what. He's just being Jeff. He wants to know everyone has missed him. He'll show up. He was swimming in the Mississippi. Two tugboats came along, and he went underwater. We can't find him. Something has punched me in my stomach with all of its force. I dropped the phone. Dave, Dave, I pick up the phone again. Gene, is this real? Am I having a bad dream? It's real, Dave. There are helicopters shining searchlights on the river. There's a team dragging the water. Helicopters, that was a sound I couldn't identify. My brain doesn't know what to ask, but my mouth comes up with something. When did he go into the water? Around 9 o'clock, says Gene, his voice breaking. Four hours ago. He's not coming out, is he? We share a silence. Into it rushes a sound like someone pounding on my hotel room door. It's blood racing around my head. I try not to pass out. Okay, give me a minute, Gene. I say, I'll call you back when I've worked out what to do. But call in the meantime if there's any development and tell everyone there to say nothing. No press. Okay. 
I put the phone down. It's like I've got a life raft, let go of a life raft at sea. Is my lung about to give out again? My guts are being tugged by something. Bereavement. My soul is being yanked. A slow motion pulse of panic and confusion. How can this be? I'm not prepared for this. What the F am I supposed to do? Then I fly down to Memphis a couple days later, and I'm having breakfast with Steve Berkowitz, his A&R guy. When Sunday morning comes, I realize that it's only been two full days, but it feels like two years. All of us are pretty beaten up, and I'm starting to flag. Steve Berkowitz and I have breakfast together. He's already been down to the river, and Keith Foti has explained to him what happened. I'm due to meet Foti after breakfast and have him tell me what went on. I have to go to the bathroom. When I come back, Berkowitz says with a hopeful look, did you check your voicemail? We are both hoping vainly that Jeff left a message saying he'd screwed up, that somehow he made it across the river, then went out that night and came back to find all the attention with the police, the helicopters, and he doesn't know what to do. It would have been one of us he would have called laughing to confess. After breakfast, I go with Fody down to Wolf River Harbor where Jeff had waded into the water. Fody goes through what happened yet one more time. I feel sorry for Fody. He's still in shock and really worried about getting blamed, but we all know there was nothing more he could have done. I try to reassure him. I ask to be left alone for a minute, and he goes back to the car. I stand by the murky water and try to imagine looking at it as night falls and wanting to walk into it. I can't imagine anything I'd rather do less. I grew up next to the Missouri River. One day you can walk across it, other days you can't. Jeff, you stupid effing tears begin to rush down my cheeks. I'm not sobbing. I just have water pouring out of me as if something inside is trying to get to the river to join it and escape. Was he showing up for Fody, trying to look cool to the new kid? Was it some kind of challenge to himself, a cry for attention, missed time, because there was nobody who knew how to get him to stop? He'd been acting pretty strange these past few weeks. Did he have no idea what he was doing? Did he zone off and forget he wasn't lying in the long grass in his front yard? Did he cotton some weeds? Did he hit a freakish undertow? Christ, how long has he been out there? I pick up the biggest stones on the shore and start hurling them into the water with all the fury that's rising in me. How dare you leave me with this piece of, do the, do the math on what that word is. <laughs> I shout so loud I pull a muscle in my throat. I throw stones at the water as hard as I can. Why, why, why ricochets around my head and I start to heave with sobs. I feel like I'm throwing everything we've done together into the river after him. You got through it. Yeah. I can't imagine what, from your point of view, how that would feel. I mean, I can't imagine because you've told it, but uh, bereavement use, you mentioned. You, know. you just go numb. You just go numb. Yeah. Um, you know, the hardest part was you're picking up your artists, you're picking up the Columbia employees, you're picking up the Sony publishing employees, the agents, the promoters, your own family. My wife was his promotion manager <coughs> in Europe, uh, your office staff. And I mean, that's, and it's his legacy. So I didn't want it like a father, like son. So we did the autopsy and found out there was no drugs in his system, only a small amount of uh, alcohol. And you know, you're protecting your guy. You don't have time to grieve. I realized when I, that was the first chapter I wrote and I started writing it on my back porch uh, about two years ago and I just bawled like a baby for three days going through it. I mean, just, I realized I'd never mourned him, didn't have the opportunity to mourn him. My wife kept coming out saying, are you okay? Are you okay? Mm -hmm. It was very therapeutic, but yeah. it was pure torture going through. Mm -hmm. You're just reliving it all again. Yeah. Right. But 
it's better that it's out of your system and now we have it and we can thank you for going through that hell to both the experience but to to share this information with his legions of fans and for those of us who are newer to Jeff Buckley's magic and legacy it's a it's a great gift you're giving us well thank you I hope uh, you enjoy it yeah so let's um let's listen to Jeff again in Lover You Should Have Come Over
bed is made The open window lets the rain in Burning in the corner Is the only one who dreams he had you with him Body turns and yearns for a sleep that won't ever come. It's never over. My kingdom for a kiss upon her shoulder. It's never over. All my riches for her smiles when I step so soft. There you have it, Jeff Buckley, lover you should have come over. Now, there are many people to thank for helping make this program happen. Let's start with tonight's sponsor, TheraPlay LLC, for over 20 years using music to help special needs children do what was thought impossible. Contact them at 646-279-1145 or email theraplay at optonline.net. Thanks also to our friends here at WRCR, tonight's DJ engineer, Jeff Lewis, and Alex Madokovich, to John Wicks of Wicks Arborist and Nunzio Signore, 
at Rockland Peak Performance, and to Miss Olga Pinto and Sophia Muni for assisting with social media and internet marketing, and of course, to today's advertisers, Marla, the Focus Group Lady, Messenger on Facebook if you want to share your opinions for cash or set up a focus group for your business or product, to all our friends at Tallman Auto Center, 845-357-8790, Realtor Bill Perlman at BillPerlman.com, 845-641-1145 to the Schachter Center for Complementary Medicine in Suffern, 845-368-4700 or at theschachtercenter.com. And finally, to our amazing guest, Dave Laurie, author of Jeff Buckley, From Hallelujah to the Last Goodbye, who's about to emerge on a three-month international book tour. So, Repeat where people can get in touch with you and get tickets and buy the books. If you go to uh, jeffbuckleythebook.com, that's jeffbuckleythebook.com, and uh, register uh, on the website, uh, we send out uh, videos, interviews, uh, special snippets, things like that out weekly. Um, also, you'll see the tour dates on there. And... Uh, you know, all the information. You can also pre-order the book on there. I'm going to come see you at the City Winery. And it's the definitive book on iconic cult hero Jeff Buckley, the singer who made just one record but inspired a generation of rock musicians. The whole point of this tour is going to be a Q&A with all the fans. So it's going to be very interactive um, where they can ask me anything they want about Jeff and uh, we carry a conversation. And mm -hmm. I thought that was better than just doing a book, a tour, book tour where people just shovel through. Okay. For inquiries about getting heard or coming on or for advertising on Live Song Radio, you can reach us at livesongradio at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook at Brian Muni's Live Song Radio. And to download this and other of our past shows, Google or search us out on iTunes or SoundCloud. Or you can visit our spanky new website, www.brianmuni.com. Thank you to Tanya Leah for that. You can see her brilliant design work at www.tstudio.me. Stay tuned for deets about our next few months' exciting shows. They're going to be doozies. And also, don't miss this weekend's 15th annual Garner Arts Festival, Saturday, Sunday, May 19th to 20th, rain or shine, 11 to 6 p.m., 14 acres of exhibitions, installations, and performances, all for just 8 bucks for adults, 6 for seniors, and kids for free. Just up the road, 55 West Railroad Avenue, Garnerville, New York. Till then, see you in the Digisphere. You can visit us on Facebook at Brian Muni's Live Song Radio or at brianmuni.com or better yet, maybe at a club like Marines in Nyack or in NYC, where for sure we'll be keeping it live. So I think, Dave, maybe we should go out with the last goodbye. Well, that's pretty fitting. All righty. Thank you for joining us. And thanks for having me.
Thank you.